Let's go to the Lord again in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, hallowed be thy name. Thank you for blessing us to be able to assemble together with anticipation of seeing you in our darling Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, someday. Yea, as you have told us, we know not what we shall be, but we know that we shall be like Him, and we shall see Him as He is. We think about that from time to time, trying to anticipate the day. But we have to continue to abide in this low ground of sin and sorrow and live out our lives. But I pray, my God, that we can have the, the spirit of the Apostle Paul though he said to depart and be with Christ was far better, he also said to live is Christ. So help us to have that attitude as we go about living out our lives upon this earth. We thank you for the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that He poured out His life for us. And I pray that we might be able to grasp hold of that to some degree as we continue in our service this day. Again, we pray that You would bless the Gospel to go forth throughout the land that you would bless faithful men and raise up more to preach the truth of the everlasting gospel of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. <clears throat> Since we finished up with chapter 5 of Galatians last Lord's Day, and... This afternoon is our Lord's Supper. I thought it uh, good to divert from that and uh, preach somewhat around the what we call the communion service or the Lord's Supper. Verse 16, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing which we bless... Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? So if you want a title, I've called it the communion of the body and blood of Christ. As you know, I have stated before that the Lord willing, when we finish with the book of Galatians, 
our uh, plan is to preach through the the book of 1 John. And one of the things about 1 John is the reason that he wrote it is that we might have fellowship with God and with Christ. And uh, here lately, the last couple of weeks, I've been studying about that verse of fellowship in 1 John. And so I have borrowed from my studies of 1 John to preach the sermon today. And if you're around and I still preach on 1 John, uh, and you, uh, you'll probably hear me uh, preach about that uh, again when we get to uh, that, uh, that chapter but, uh, or that portion of the scriptures. But anyway, uh, I do not think that we can study this subject of fellowship or communion uh, too much. I have been uh, studying it for 50 years and it still seems like that I'm lacking something. Uh, But uh, I want to say that one thing about this, this verse from the very outset that When Christ died on the cross for us, He died in our place that we might partake of of the benefits. In other words, if I owe, say, uh, a large amount of money, let's say I owe the bank $10,000, and somebody comes along and pays my bill, I partake of their blessing or of their paying the bill. They don't partake of it other than the fact that uh, God may bless them for doing it, but they didn't know it. I owed it. And so I partake of the benefit of having it paid off. And when Christ died on the cross, when He shed His blood and His body was broken for us, we partake of the benefits. So uh, I want to leave that with us first before we look at this word. I've heard several definitions given for fellowship. Uh, One that I've heard and does have merit to it. That it's a bunch of fellows in a ship. And if they're all working toward the same goal, uh, that would fit. I heard another definition of that a man gave one time about fellowship, that it was two people eating out of the same plate. And uh, that can have some merit to it. And while when we eat a little bit later, Sister uh, Karen may uh, feel free to take something off of Brother Benjamin's plate. It might not be good for us to. <laughs> but you get the picture that there's that communion, that that uh, camaraderie of, of uh, intimacy. But I want to make this statement, and I may make it again, that... Uh, 
all of the apostles that traveled with the Lord Jesus Christ his three, three and a half years, they had some fellowship. They all traveled with him. They ate with him. They uh, healed the sick, raised the dead, preached the gospel. They did all of that and they had that in common one with another. But there was one that did not have the fellowship with Christ that we're talking about and that's Judas. Though we may participate with each other in various functions and this word for fellowship or communion uh, does apply, I want us to think about it with just a uh, that added dimension that though Judas had all of the other benefits of being an apostle, he was still a devil. He was not clean. He did not have that intimacy that only a child of grace has. Like I said, the Greek word fellowship, the Greek word for communion here in 1 Corinthians 10, 16 is the, uh, it, it's, it probably won't mean much to you, but it's the Greek word koinonia. And there is a verb form that we'll look at a little bit later, which is koinonia. But uh, koinonia, it, it, the definition is fellowship, association, community. These are some synonyms. Communion, joint participation, intercourse. According to the Greek lexicographer uh, J. Uh, Henry J. Uh, Joseph Thayer, he gave three breakdowns of this word. One is the share in which one has in anything participation. The second, he said, has used is intercourse or fellowship or intimacy. And then a, benefic, a benefaction or jointly contribution, a collection, a contribution as exhibiting in embodiment and proof of fellowship, which we'll see along that line. Uh, we In our prayers uh, this morning, we prayed for... Uh, Brother Nathan and Brother Marvin in their uh, going to Africa. In the past, we, when we were more financially secure, we have been blessed to help contribute to others in spreading the gospel in other lands. And there have been times when people have been sick and had hospital bills. We were able to contribute to that and things of that nature. Well, we participated in their need. 
we were we were part of it and we'll see that use here in the scriptures as we go forth the best way for me to understand what god would have us to know about a word that he uses in the scriptures is to see how God uses it. And so I want us to look at this word in the New Testament, look in a few places. First of all, in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2. I've given you the definitions, and I've tried to give some illustrations of those definitions. But I think there can be no better than God using His Word to speak to your heart and soul. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, after the 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost to the congregation of God there, Verse 42, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. Now we can read that and say they continued in fellowship, but what did they do? It doesn't really tell us unless we see how the word is used in many, many other places. But I would like to go to 1st John, skip over to 1st John, we're going to come back to Romans, but I want to skip over to 1st John, and note that this fellowship is not just merely a bunch of people meeting together. And Lord willing, we'll have more to say about this when we preach through 1 John. I'm going to start in verse 1. The words used in verse 3, but I, I, I just I want to get some of the context. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son. Verse 6 If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness and we do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now while much more could be said, I think 
those verses can be inclusive of what is talking about in Acts 2.42. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking up bread and prayers. In other words, fellowship is going, true Christian fellowship is going to be centered around the doctrine of truth and the truth of Jesus Christ and the truth of God the Father and the second person of the Trinity. All of that is going to include fellowship. We cannot have true Christian fellowship if we're not one in doctrine. If we're not one in doctrine. In fact, it might be good to think about fellowship as oneness of mind. Oneness of mind. Unity of mind. Next is used in Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. In other words, uh, I hope you familiar can think in your head where uh, Achaia and Macedonia is. If you can't, we'll look right quickly. It's this region right here. This is Macedonia. This is Achaia. That's, that's that area. Paul said uh, the people, the saints that were worshiping in those places, they took up some money and they sent it to the poor saints at Jerusalem. Well, the word contribution there is the word fellowship. It's the word communion. And while we're, we are at Romans, in Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, he said, distributing to the necessity of the saints given to hospitality. That word distributing has the idea of giving to others. It's the verb form of this koinonia. And I think it's quite apropos that... Uh, in uh, Romans chapter 12 there, uh, we see in verse 15, Rejoice with them that rejoice and weep with them that weep. I think that's a good illustration of fellowship. When we see saints weeping, we weep with them. When they rejoice, we rejoice with them. And we can see more about this uh, as we go forward. The next time that the word fellowship is this word is used is in First Corinthians, 
By the way, with regard to contribution, there with Romans fifteen twenty six, you might, if you want to add to it, if you're taking notes, Second Corinthians, chapter eight and verse four, uh, chapter nine and verse thirteen, and then Hebrews thirteen six, all has to do with giving. In fact, that word uh, distribution in Romans 15 is the same word that we'll see in Galatians chapter 6 when it talks about those that hear the gospel that they are to give to those who preach the gospel to them. It's the same word and the same participation, communion, fellowship. But we'll cover that, Lord willing, when we get to it. But the next time it's used is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. The fellowship of His Son. 1 Corinthians 1, 6. Now, that calling not only is an effectual call while we're here in this life, but no doubt had its beginning in eternity when He called us. You can see that there is a connection with Christ. A connection with Christ. We may not be sitting at the same table. Though this afternoon when we are participating at the Lord's Supper and at the table of the Lord, we're going to be eating bread and drinking wine. And in doing so, we are doing that as a memorial that we are that we participated in the breaking of the body of Christ and the shedding of His blood. We were there in Him legally. We participated. That, and, and the fact that Jesus Christ shed His blood for our sins it's their only reason that we one day will stand before Him holy and without blame. Holy and without blame. God looks at us that way now. I cannot imagine being holy and without blame. I can't imagine standing before God with a sense of being without blame. You know, when I was a child at home, I did wrong. I was disciplined for that wrong. I may have um, uh, got back in fellowship with my parents, but I was still... Blame for blame for what I did. Sometimes people will go to 
they will go to court for some something that they did wrong, and the judge may let them off, or they may go to prison for a while and get pardoned. And while the law would have nothing to do with them anymore, they're still to be blamed for what they did. But I can't imagine standing before my Lord without blame. But beloved, it's true. And the reason for that is because I participated in his death. I was there legally, judicially. He's called us unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Yes, there's also that communion of daily walking with him, which we'll get to. Next time the word is used is in our text, 1 Corinthians 10, 16. We won't read that. We'll look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for the next time it's used. Here it has the idea and the, uh, not the idea, well, it's talking about how that we're not to be uh, yoked together with unbelievers. We read verse 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and then what communion hath light with darkness? You see, a believer and an unbeliever cannot be of one mind. In fact, there's a good Christian lady that I knew. She's departed. Her husband's departed. Uh, But when they got married, she was a primitive Baptist and he was a Presbyterian. And he was a good Presbyterian. and, but he was also a Mason. <laughs> uh, so he was a good Presbyterian as far as Presbyterians go from that standpoint. And I've spent many times in their homes, enjoyed their company and their fellowship uh, on a natural way. And uh, later on in life, uh, God blessed him to be immersed and become a primitive Baptist. But while they had a good marriage, as as well as a good marriage could go, she had testified more than once that there was still something lacking. Because he would take off on the Lord's Day and go to the Presbyterian meeting. She would go to the Primitive Baptist. They did not have that full oneness of mind they did not have that same thought they had a good marriage and raised some children good and moral way and things of that nature but there was still something lacking in their marriage 
though both professed to be Christian, there was a difference in their understanding of some things, and therefore they, they could not have full communion and fellowship one with the other. But just think of, of the diversity that there is with a believer and an unbeliever. Far greater. Far greater. Next time it's used in the last chapter of 2 Corinthians. And the last verse. 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Now, I thank you. If you'll remember what we preached last Lord's Day with regard to uh, the put off and the put on. And the previous Lord's Day about walking in fellowship, uh, uh, walking in the Spirit, the difference in walking in the Spirit and the flesh, you can see somewhat this communion of the Holy Spirit. And I don't, I won't make any more comments on that. Next is Galatians two nine, where Peter, James, and John gave Paul and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship. In other words, they were saying, God bless you, we're behind you, and though we preach to the Jews, you're preaching to the Gentiles, and we're glad to hear the gospel go forth, and and we support you in that. Ephesians 3.9, it talks about the fellowship of the mystery of the gospel of the Gentiles, what were they? They were partakers of the benefits. They were partakers of the gospel. The Jews, God essentially only spoke to the Jews. But now He commandeth all men everywhere to repent. And the mystery was that the Gentiles were going to be brought into the same kingdom and be blessed to hear the same gospel, and a Jew and a Gentile could sit on the same pew worshiping God together. There was not a, a Jew that was over the Gentile, nor the Gentile that was over the Jew. And while God did use the Jews to give us the Scriptures and to preserve the Scriptures for us in His kingdom, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. And when you hear people thinking that God uh, thinks that the Jews are far better than the Gentiles, uh, you know that their theology is, is wrong. So that was Ephesians 3.9. Philippians 1.9 also talks about the fellowship of the Gospel. Philippians 3.10 talks about the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ. When we are persecuted for righteousness sake, then we are participating in the sufferings of Christ. In other words, we're not participating with Christ on the cross. We're not making that persecution better 
or anything of that nature. It just means we're in, we are in, we are, well, I can't think of anything else but participating. <laughs> we're participating in the sufferings of Christ. We're communing in the sufferings of Christ. We have fellowship with the sufferings of Christ. Philemon 6 talks about the communication of faith or the fellowship of faith and then what we've already read in 1 John chapter 1. Now we could have read some more verses there and with, with, with this verb form of fellowship that we mentioned in Romans chapter 15 or, or chapter 12 I mean, <clears throat> we could uh, we could look at eight more, but I hope by looking at how God uses the word throughout the New Testament, it gives you an idea of what communion is, what fellowship is. It's not necessarily a feeling. It's not some euphoria or some emotional happening. In my early days of Christianity, when we would have the Lord's Supper, I thought that if I didn't cry in the Lord's Supper, I wasn't spiritual. That was because I didn't understand what fellowship was. I thought communion was to be something emotional. And it might be for some individuals. There are times when I think and talk about the things of the Lord, I get emotional. But if I did that all the time, uh, I wouldn't last very long preaching. (laughs) I'd, I'd break down. And... But I tell you what, I really enjoy those emotional times. But there is a, well, let me say this, we don't have to think that we have to have some, meet some emotional criteria to commune with God. Let's go back to the Old Testament for just a moment to get one other idea of communion. Look at Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18. If you'll remember, this is when Abraham was sitting in his tent, in the plains of memory, in the heat of the day, and what took place? Three men walked up. And we know from reading that and from knowing what the Scriptures teach that those three men were, one of them was the pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, And the other two were angels. And Abraham 
had a meal cooked for them. He had three loaves of bread. And by the way, each one, of, if you look at the ingredients and everything, each one of those loaves of bread was more like a footstool around Audubon. But they had this calf slain. Think, think about how long it takes to kill an animal, dress it out, and cook it. Now, I've lived on a farm. I know what it is to kill an animal, dress it out, and cook it. Uh, just uh, even a chicken. You don't do that in 30 minutes. You don't do it in an hour. And if you've got an old uh, tough rooster, it takes a little bit longer than that. And we didn't let anything go to waste on the farm <laughs> when I was living. In fact, we had a rooster that was, I don't know if this adds anything to it, but it keeps coming to mind. We had a rooster that was, he was a mean one. And he took out after me one day and I ran by my brother. My brother had a tobacco stick in his hand and he swung and hit the rooster and killed it. And he thought he was going to be in trouble with mama, mother, and she said, well, get the axe and cut his head off and we'll cook it. <laughs> so uh, we got rid of that old fighting rooster. But it took a while. When you read these things in the Scriptures, pause. And then... The two angels went on down to Sodom and Gomorrah to visit Lot. And if you remember what Abraham did, Abraham was talking to the Lord and said, Lord, if there's 50 in the city, would you destroy it? And God said, no, I won't for 50. Then Abraham said, what about 40? No, I won't do it for 40. And so Abraham kept excusing himself and asking God to uh, overlook his uh, presumption. And he kept bargaining and going on down till he got down to 10. And notice what it says in Genesis 18.33. And the Lord went His way as soon as he left communing with Abraham. And Abraham returned unto his place. I wanted to give this added dimension of communing because this Hebrew word for commune is debar and it's most often translated to speak. And I want you to get the idea of communing with the Lord is you talking to Him. Speaking to Him. Of this word, the Scriptures continually re reiterate that God spoke because the verb and the noun derivative of this word is used 2,500 times in the Old Testament and the noun form over 1,400 times, and the verb form 1,100 uh, times. That's this Hebrew word of debar. 
And it's translated commune. I won't take the time to look at it, but I, we could look at them. But if you want to look at it on your own, later on from your notes, Exodus 25, 22, Exodus 31, 18, 1 Kings 10, 2, Ecclesiastes 1, 16, and Zephaniah 1, 14. Those are just a few out of the 20 times that it's translated communion. It looks like we lost connection. I don't know. Sorry about this. I don't know whether she'll be able to reconnect with us or not. Anyway. So. But I hope you get, you've gotten the idea that communion has this idea of joint participation from Christ on the cross and we being blessed for His paying our sin debt. The idea of us communicating or giving one to another. The idea of intimacy of a believer and an unbeliever cannot join together. And taking in with the idea of the apostles and Judas being in there, though he did joint participate in preaching the gospel, healing the sick, and all the other things that they went through from a natural standpoint, he did not have that full communion and fellowship with the Lord that John spoke about in that first epistle. And that our communion and fellowship with the Lord is going to be inclusive of our talking to Him. Now obviously, when we sit here and eat the bread and drink the wine later this afternoon, you're not going to think about all of it. But I hope that you have an overall idea and that you think about the Lord Jesus Christ and what He means to you. As you have heard me say many times before, I'll say it again today, if you have not been communing and fellowshipping with the Lord throughout the week, to some degree, it's very unlikely you will much this afternoon. You'll just eat bread and drink wine. But even if that's all that you do, and if you are one of the Lord's, you can know that Christ died for me. He shed His blood and gave His life for me. 
in light of that, communion with Christ is daily enjoying His company. It's sharing with Him. What are you usually sharing with the Lord? How you feel? How you think? You're not giving Him anything. The only way we can share is to just enjoy Him and to delight in Him. It's, it's participating with Him in the events of your life. You remember Joseph when he was tempted to sin with Potiphar's wife? He said, how can I commit this sin against God? So he knew God was there. It wasn't that I just can't do this. I can't do this with God. God sees me. God's with me. So he was participating in his temptation with God. Communing with Christ is not communicating or communing with equals. He's superior, we're inferior. Think of parents with children. They communicate, they commune, but it's not with equals. The children are submissive to their parents. And you could give other illustrations of that. Let me read from Spurgeon's morning, uh, yes, Spurgeon's Treasury of David, where he condensed something from Matthew Henry's book on communion with God. I was able to find that book in a used bookstore years ago, Matthew Henry's book on communion with God. But anyway, Psalm 22, 5, David said, On thee do I wait all the day. It is to live a life of devotedness to God. As the servant waits on his master, ready to observe his will and to do his work and in everything to consult his honor and interest. To wait on God is entirely un and unreservedly to defer ourselves to His wise and holy directions and disposals and cheerfully to acquiesce in them and comply with them. The servant that waits on his master chooses not his own way, but follows his master step by step. Thus must we wait on God as those that have no will of our own, but what, but what is wholly resolved into His, and must therefore study to accommodate ourselves to His. 
That's the end of the quote from Spurgeon's Treasury of David, taken from Matthew Henry. Communion with Christ is that of a bride who deeply loves her spouse and continually studies his person and ways so that she might enjoy him fully. And you could also say the flip side of that, communion with Christ is that of a husband who deeply loves his spouse and continually studies her person and ways so that he might enjoy her fully. Made to think of 1 Peter 3 and 9. Husbands, love your wives. No, excuse me. Uh, husbands, uh, dwell with them according to knowledge as unto weaker vessels that your prayers be not hindered. You see, a husband's communion with his wife is directly related to his prayer life with God. Just as our communion with one another is directly related to our communion to the Lord. As we'll see in 1 John, if you have fellowship with Christ, you're going to have fellowship with His people. And remember Romans eight seventeen, We are joint heirs with Christ. I don't know what all Christ inherits. But I inherit it too. And so did you. You see, we're not equal inheritors. I've got a will made out. And unless something changes... Uh, when I die, whatever I have is going to be divided equally among five children. But if I had a particular type of will made out, and I don't know enough to talk about it, but I do know that you can make out a will that, in such a way that each child owns everything. They're joint participators. And no one child can do any one thing with, with the will, with the, the property without all the others doing it. There's not an executor. Everyone has equal, equal ownership. That's what we are with Christ. Beloved, you're going to be loved by the Father as much as the Father loves Christ. In fact, you already are. You'll just know it then. You'll be appreciated by the Father as much as Christ is appreciated by the Father. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being on an equal Judicially, being on an equal judicially with Christ. You'll never be His equal in His divinity. We want to keep that squared away. And it's hard to keep that sometimes separated. But we're joint heirs with Christ. 
if I'm right about eschatology, we all are going to be ruling and reigning with Christ over the new earth in the new heavens. But time will tell whether I'm right or wrong. So are you communing? Are you communing with Christ in His love, in His mercy, in His sacrifice, in His death, in His burial, His sufferings, His rejections, His ascension, His glory, His return? How much do you think about these things? As you go about the day. I don't expect you to think about every one of them. And there may be things. And I'm sure there are things that I haven't mentioned. That you may think about. Reconciliation. Justification. Sanctification. Perseverance. Righteousness. And the list could go on and on and on. So while we are. Participating of the Lord's Supper, I trust that what we've said this morning will be of some benefit to you as well as days to come. Let us pray. Thank you, our God, though we have not been exhaustive in our study of fellowship and fellowshipping you and communing with you. We have been somewhat extensive and as I said at the beginning I must say again I still have that thought that there's something missing. And I don't want to be looking for too much, Father. But I don't want to miss the obvious. So help us as we endeavor to commune with Thy darling Son, not only at the Lord's Supper, but as we go about in our daily lives until the coming and the end of time, till the coming of Christ or our departure. In Jesus' name, Amen.